When you're in the city, do you ever get on a crowded L car or maybe the bus? Or maybe it's when you get on a commuter airline and it's just packed to the gills. Or maybe it's walking down Michigan Avenue with all the variety of native Chicagoans and all the tourists. And do you look around and say, gosh, wow, look, everybody's made in the image of God. I'm so impressed. Well, next time you're on that crowded L and someone's in your face and is a little too loud or might kind of smell a little or is just doing something you don't see very often, remember that person is made in the image of God. At least that's the thing that keeps me calm when I'm in those situations. Our sermon series is entitled The Image of God. It's one that Bill came up with that we're looking at the ways in which Scripture helps us understand the challenges that we think are might be unique to our day and time today, but actually they've plagued us since the beginning of time, but our faith tradition tells us something strongly to be learned about how God's image is in everyone and that the ways in which we can rise to meet the challenge of loving as God asks us to. Um, so with that, um, our scripture reading is actually embedded much, much later in the sermon, and you'll figure that out as, I, as we go along, but um, let's help me out, and everybody, please pray with me. Creating God, silence in us any voice but yours, that we may be startled to hear your truth. Open our eyes to see the divine in one another, so that we too may be blessed to live in harmony with your beloved. We offer this prayer in the name of the man who is your word and our Savior, Jesus the Christ. Amen. Now, I'm a bit old-fashioned, and Katie teases me about that because I'm often ripping out a newspaper article, and I'll leave it on her desk, or the same thing with Sylvie, because old-fashioned, they don't read the newspaper like I read the newspaper. It's a piece of paper, and it sits on the kitchen counter, and it might take me all day to page through it. And we get a number of papers, but the, the thing that I always look forward to reading from the Chicago Tribune is the arts and entertainment section. Hamish takes the sports, and I get that. I get to read the comics of all the papers I get. It's the only place where I get the funny papers. And the other reason I really pick up the arts and entertainment is so that I can read Ask Amy. And I know that some of you who are clinical therapists, we've talked about this, you too read Ask Amy. Sometimes the questions posed by those that write letters to her are challenges that echo of things that I've seen here or that grace our office. And sometimes I read a letter with great gratitude that it's something that hasn't come into my office because I just can't imagine some of those problems. You just can't make up how heartbreaking or destructive some of the conflicts are that we face or that we foist upon one another. As I read her letters, I often ask myself, how, how would I respond? Sometimes I agree with her. Um, sometimes she's so blunt, though, that it doesn't feel very pastorally sensitive, and I might need to tone it down. But I always read Ask Amy. Earlier this week, a column featured a letter's quandary, is how the letter writer wrote it. She had a quandary. She found a photo as she was going through a beloved mother-in-law and grandmother to her children who'd recently died. She was going through all of her personal effects and found a photo from the 1930s. And she was, the writer said, appalled at this photo from the 1930s because it showed everybody in a Halloween costume from an office party. So everybody's in costume, lots of people, and it shows beloved mother and grandmother in costume. But it also shows quite a number of people in that gathering for Halloween that were present in blackface. And it, it 
it went through her heart, is how she describes it. So she's seeking advice from Amy. Does she destroy this photo even though grandma is in it? Or do they keep it despite the racism that she finds so abhorrent? And, and how do you reconcile that? Such is the challenge of our individual faith hist pardon me, family histories as well as our ancient faith history that we all share together. The beginning of Genesis tells the story of our first family of faith. It's of promise and it's of beginning. And I invite you to look at the characters with me in this saga as if it were in a TV series. And each episode pulls us further forward as it reveals the characters and the complexity of their lives and the plot twists. We're gonna fast forward through Genesis, binge watching. It's gonna take us not that time, not that much time. So episode one, God speaks to Abraham, and I quote from Genesis 12, leave your country, your people, and your family. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you, and you will be a blessing. All people on earth will be blessed by you. All of the three great monotheistic faiths, Judaism, Christianity, and Islam, they all originate within Abraham's legacy, this promise that God made. But it's crazy. Abraham and Sarah, they were childless and very old. Abraham's 75 and, and Sarah's not far behind. It's crazy that they would think about this. But at God's direction, Abraham left his country for an unknown land, led by the promise that he would have descendants as numerous as the stars and the heavens. I mean, that's what took him away. The tension in this first episode is magnified by Sarah's shameful barrenness. Her barrenness de denies any participation of Sarah in this promise and blessing. So this late life folly spotlights the agony that Sarah has had all her life because in the ancient Near East, a woman is measured solely on the abundance of her womb and she has produced potentially nothing in her life from those standards. So we feel sorry for Sarah. She is dragged halfway across the Middle East in pursuit of Abraham's blessing, but not hers. It's a cliffhanger how the first episode ends. Episode two. Enter a new character into the series saga. It's a woman by the name of Hagar, and she's introduced as Sarah's Egyptian servant, and Sarah sees this is the answer. Now customary at the time, just as a servant's hands and feet were at the disposal of the mistress for work, so too was this woman's womb at Sarah's disposal. So Sarah gives Hagar to Abraham as a wife, no less. She gives him to her Abraham as a wife, and Hagar conceives. But Sarah gets angry because Hagar seems to delight in this blessing and bearing a part of this promise. Rather than get between these two feuding women, Abraham washes his hands of the matter and lets Sarah do as she will. And her abuse becomes so great that Hagar flees to the desert and sure death. It's in the desert that God sees this pregnant Hagar and promises her so many children that they can't be counted. And after seeing God herself, Hagar is obedient she returns to Sarah and gives birth to a son who's named Ishmael. And oh, how it gets even worse because Sarah fumes at seeing how Abraham loves this 
child. You tune in again for episode three. Enter yet another new character and more complexity in this story. So I invite you now to listen as I read from Genesis chapter 21. Isaac grew and stopped nursing. On the day he stopped nursing him, nursing Abraham prepared a huge banquet. And Sarah saw Hagar's son playing, the one Hagar, the Egyptian mistress, had borne to Abraham. So she said to Abraham, send this servant away with her son. This servant's son will not share in the inheritance of my son Isaac. This upset Abraham terribly because the boy was his son. God said to Abraham, don't be upset about the boy and your servant. Do everything Sarah tells you to do because your descendants will be traced through Isaac. But I will make your servant's son a great nation too because he is also your descendant. So Abraham got up early in the morning, took a bread and a flask of water and gave it to Hagar. He put the boy on her shoulder and sent them away. Hagar left and wandered through the desert. Finally, the water in the flask ran out, and she put the boy down under the desert shrub. She walked away from him about as far as a bow shot and sat down and telling herself, I can't bear to see the boy die. She sat down in a distance, cried out in grief, and wept. God heard the boy's cries, and God's messenger called to Hagar from heaven and said, Hagar, what's wrong? Don't be afraid. God has heard the boy's cries over there. Get up, pick up the boy, and take him by the hand, because I will make of him a great nation. And then God opened Hagar's eyes, and she saw a well. She went over and filled the water flask and gave the boy a drink. God remained with the boy. He grew up, he lived in the desert, and became an expert archer. Ishmael lived in the desert, and his mother found him an Egyptian wife. So ends the next episode. Throughout scripture, Abraham is the model of faith. He left his homeland for the unknown, truly risking his life at the time. And in this story, he trusts that God will not allow Hagar's son to die, so a great nation will bear the name of Abraham, just as numerous as the stars in the heaven. Later, when God tests Abraham's faith by asking him to sacrifice Isaac, he complies again, trusting God. Now Sarah, Sarah appears as the paragon of matriarchs who brings about a nation from a barren womb. She was devoted to her husband, his dream, his blessing, and willingly humiliated herself with Hagar just for his benefit. Sarah plays a starring role by bearing a son to whom we trace the birth of Judaism and the seed of Christianity. And in this way of telling the story, the Egyptian servant Hagar, she had a few close calls with death, but she became obedient to God and she had the privilege of being given to Abraham as a wife. That was a privilege that Hagar had. Ishmael flourishes, he gives rise to what is known as Islam. And as a faithful son later in Genesis, Ishmael returns to join his half-brother Isaac to bury his father Abraham. And God, God in this story, God keeps God's promises to Abraham. This would seem a happy ending to this family faith drama if it were told on the Hallmark Channel. But if we remove the lens of those who have interpreted scriptures throughout the ages, 
the Hebrew, the urban, the elite, and mostly the male. And if we instead read this story with an eye towards all of God's creation, including the women, the immigrant, the ethnic minority, the common laborer, we see deeply flawed characters, all of them deeply flawed. Now you knew I was gonna do this, that's how I started out, and you knew this was gonna happen. We are going to unmask the patriarchy, the racism, and the sexism in this story so that we can see our lives in our ancient family ancestors are not so different from our lives today. Without changing one word in our sacred text, no, but rather reading it with integrity, this is a lot more like an edgy series on Netflix or Amazon Prime. The story is filled with betrayal, abandonment, and abuse. So let's go back and look at the main characters. Abraham, yes, he is faithful to God beyond imagination. He is always the paragon of faith. But despite his power, he is a pawn in the women's struggle, and he defines himself always idolatrously by his offspring. That's who he thinks of himself, and he makes himself into a god. Sarah, Sarah believed that Hagar's body was merely a tool at her disposal, and it's a chilling paradox. Sarah refused to see Hagar as human and dehumanizes her in every way possible, but yet Sarah can't help but see that she's human enough that she takes her womb. Dominance and wealth preservation is what guides Sarah's actions. And Hagar, yes, she's called politely an Egyptian servant, but that's just a euphemism for slave. She's nothing but a slave since she was likely captured by Abraham and Sarah when they were in Egypt, and she has been in bondage ever since. She doesn't have agency here. She is the first minority in scripture to be oppressed. She is the first woman in scripture to claim me too. Hagar's encounter with her Hebrew mistress are hauntingly reminiscent of all the black slave women and the white owners during US slavery. Over and over again, we know that there are tales of women who recount the rape that they've had the rape of black women by white masters only be to be compounded by the brutal beatings by their white mistresses who penalized these slaves for their husband's lust and desires. Now, Hagar is not a bit player in our first family of faith. She was the first in so many awful ways, but she is also the first woman to be visited by God's messenger. She is the first and only woman to see this messenger of God and God face to face and live. She's the first to weep for a dying child, and Hagar is the first to experience God's redemption. And in fact, if you think about it, Hagar looks a lot more like Jesus than Abraham ever has. And I saved the best for last, Ishmael. God gave Ishmael his name in the desert, which means God heard. In the desert with no water, no future, it's God who hears his cries. Ishmael is not exiled forever outside of our faith, but Ishmael always bears God's image such that everyone else who bears, who walks this earth, also bears God's image. Just as Ishmael must have wept for the senselessness of Hagar and Sarah and Abraham's ways, maybe it will take our children's weeping on our behalf, our children's weeping for the sins of prejudice, of stubbornness, of exploitation, 
those sins that we all do to convince God to convene in our lives or maybe for us to change our lives. None of us are safe from the ravages of a society that makes room for only a chosen few and keeps the vast majority impoverished. And for those of us that are educated and employed, there's always the potential to be Sarah and far too many opportunities for her to surface. A faithful interpretation of this story could elevate each character as a beloved child of God. But throughout the story, there is one single star, and that's always God, ensuring that God's precious creation is seen, God's precious creation is redeemed and always loved. Now our dramatic series continues onward with more sequels and more episodes. It's always in scripture and in our lives today. And for all the times that someone is avoided, ignored, abused, or for some of the, the times that we refuse to see the divine image God implanted everywhere, the plot twists. The plot twists and good news can be revealed, and it's oftentimes through the most unlikely of characters. Our faith story continues, and it culminates at this table today in the story and the table before us as Jesus has asked us to tell this story throughout the ages. Here, Jesus invites everyone to join him, whether we are male or free ma female, free or slave, aggressor or victim, for we are all welcome to receive his grace, to be reconciled to one another, and always to be reconciled to God. May it be so. Amen.